Join us for Diffusion Digital at Diffusion.events, our two-day virtual conference from the 15th to the 16th of September, showcasing leading projects from across Web3 with fireside and panels featuring leaders like Joe Lubin of Ethereum and others from projects including SET Protocol, The Graph, Apple Labs, Parity, R3, Gollum and eToro. Today, I'm really happy to welcome Stanley Kulachov, the co-founder of Aave. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me and pretty excited to be here. You've been in the news a lot recently, so there's, there's a lot to talk about. So as a quick description, uh, you would describe Aave as the, the money market protocol um, and a leading DeFi project, a decentralized finance project. Uh, the website describes it as an open source, non-custodial protocol, enabling the creation of money markets where users can earn interest on deposits and borrow assets. And effectively, you're offering both stable and variable interest rates for lending, as well as um, innovating in the kind of uncollateralized loan space, or aka flash loans, which is aimed at a slightly more kind of sophisticated user base, and primarily developers. So we'll, we'll unpack that uh, a little bit later. So uh, the reasons why I wanted to get you on the show, there are lots, um, but firstly, at the time of talking, you now have around about $1.5 billion worth of different crypto assets state for credit lines, which is a huge achievement. Um, you've just overtaken MakerDAO for the title of the most uh, collateral state on Ethereum. So congratulations uh, for that. I don't know how much weight you, you put into these. Do you, do you take time to enjoy these milestones or uh, do you pay much attention to them? Well, the cool thing is that we kind of uh, sh share the success quite a lot with everyone that's building on top of Aave. So, I mean, we have a developer-friendly pro protocol, which means that most of the uh, locked value comes from, from uh, people that are building on, on, on top of Aave and creating interesting DeFi primitives. And I, I think uh, it's, it's kind of like... Uh, for us, this is a very big milestone in terms of like how, how we see how people trust our protocol the most. But our, our goal is is basically to to ensure that uh, we're kind of like a base layer and helping others uh, to build. So we kind of share uh, the success with with everyone that has been building uh, on Aave or in general. This is a good thing for DeFi. Yeah, and I think this is a really interesting thing for listeners to understand is. Um, the interplay between yourselves and the rest of the DeFi ecosystem and, and how you kind of um, accelerate one another's success. At the same time, this is not an overnight success. Um, so you've, you've at least three years old, as far as I could figure out, uh, and one of the first movers, if not the first mover, long before the DeFi hype, uh, which of course we all welcome, but at the same time, uh, it brings uh, new, new complexity, mo money, mo problems, I guess, as, as they say. And, you know, you came to market before projects like Compound. And so it's, it's interesting from a founder perspective to understand that interplay with, with competition and, and how you see it. Uh, as you said, you, you kind of deliberately taken a more community-driven approach um, than other competition. You did a token sale back in 2017, uh, previously as uh, Eastland. Um, and the offerings evolved a lot since then, including, including the token. So uh, it's going to be interesting to understand that journey, uh, again, from a founder perspective. As I said, with things like Flash Loans, you're very developer-centric. And so I think it's in, going to be interesting to understand how you see crossing over from 
developers potentially into mainstream retail, if that's something you intend to do, or you, you always look to, to kind of focus primarily on, on the developer. But equally, I think it could be said that you're one of the first and few great products in not just DeFi, but Web3. There's a, a huge amount of attention has clearly gone into the UX. And you've also recently secured an electronic money license here in the UK, which is interesting in and of itself. But I also think similar to uh, MakerDAO, whose founder is Danish, you're from Helsinki. And so I really want to understand why all of this stuff is happening in this part of the world. Um, you know, what is it about this region? It, it's non-obvious to me, at least anyway, that that you know, two of the leading projects in crypto would, would be coming from here. So it's going to be interesting to understand what, if, that, if you think that's just random or there's, there's, a, there's a pattern and a signal there uh, to, to understand. And equally, you know, similar to, to Rune of um, Maker, um, you know, no offense intended, but it's non-obvious that it would necessarily be you that would be the founder of something like this, you know, both from a professional and an academic background. So, um, again, I, I think it's really interesting to understand, you know, why you and, and, and why somebody from the part of the world that you're from. Um, so maybe to just give some context to that uh, from an origins perspective, I always try to kind of summarize as best I can the background of, of a founder to give that context. And um, perhaps you can help me, me build upon it. But as far as I can understand, uh, you did various um, uh, traineeships uh, at uh, a number of law firms from what, what I could see, um, Bird and Bird, Carson and uh, Snellman and some others that I can't pronounce um, from between 2016 to 2017. And equally, you've been a, a member of the Legal Aid Committee for the Law Students Association in, uh, in Finland, uh, as I understand it. Um, and that's still something you, you do now, right? Actually, I haven't. No, I haven't done it for, for since I got vacuumed into the uh, DeFi, <laughs> okay. DeFi world. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, in background wise, it's kind of interesting because uh, like my, my background is law. Like I, I went to study law, uh, was super interested in 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 kind of like, uh, uh, I mean, for me, like law is a bit like opinionated and I, I wanted to kind of uh, figure out like how this this kind of like opinionated consensus is is driven. And before that, I was basically uh, developing uh, different kinds of apps and, and doing projects and, and usually financial applications. Uh, one of the applications that I was building and it wasn't a startup uh, and I was very young, more younger than now <laughs> and it was basically about uh letting uh, let's say app developers or or anyone who is publishing at uh, google play or app store to uh, advance their earnings uh for the next day so typically when you when you are a let's say game developer and you are uh getting revenues from from app store you have to wait uh one month and 15 days or so and then you get your monthly uh payouts and our idea was basically to advance those payouts and uh, finance has been always a bit of something that has been in my blood so I, like I, I always liked uh, like financial instruments and when I was uh, very young I mean like like 10 10 years old 13 years old I used to watch a lot of like the uh, stock markets and and uh, tr trying to understand like what's going on and and tried all kinds of like 
paper trading. And, and when I was in the junior high, we had a paper trading kind of like a uh, contest and I won that as well. So I, <laughs> I was always somehow eager about finance. And then in law school, I started to research Ethereum. I, I got somehow bumped into it uh, when I was just researching other stuff related to uh, enforceability of, of agreements and somehow end up reading about smart contracts and and I was thinking like wow this is fascinating like you 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 basically have a piece of code and and it's in the blockchain and after that uh, pretty much immutable and I was thinking like kind of like the use cases of the the idea that uh, you could actually build pretty interesting things and then uh, I started to get more involved I, I was very active in the ethereum community uh, and started to basically try out the different kinds of like uh, use cases that I wanted to build around finance and something I, I saw kind of like interesting is that uh, before uh, I started to build there wasn't DeFi uh, there was like how, how Ethereum narrative went. It's, it's basically that there was the, 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 the DAO and then there was the DAO hack. And then there was this kind of like a quiet period. And like one of the first uh, DeFi applications on Ethereum was uh, Ether Delta. And that's basically a decentralized, uh, first decentralized exchange, I, I could say on, on Ethereum. And also it didn't have any much traction until the, the actually the, token sale boom became uh, popular. And, and I wanted to kind of like think like, how could we actually make loans on, on Ethereum uh, and in a way that the borrower is incentivized to repay back. And we came up with the, the idea that you, you actually put a, a, a collateral and then you, you borrow against it. So that was like, the, the project name was Ethland, short for Ethereum lending. And that was the kind of like the beginning of the uh, collateralized uh, loans and, and the whole space evolved later a bit a bit more and this was 2000 uh, we started 2016 uh, to build and 2017 we launched and then the the Eatland community grew quite substantially and 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 basically that got us like uh, uh, further and it, it has been like uh, many years now I mean we re rebranded last year into Aave and this year January we launched the Aave protocol and I, I think like all those three years that we did, I, I think they all kind of like are a result what we are today and where we, we are going for mo multiple reasons, not just kind of like the fact that we get more knowledge on building smart contracts, but also the point that we, we kind of have the uh, narrative uh, as well that uh, we, we kind of understand like where the DeFi space is going and what has been previously happened. And that's very important to kind of like acknowledge. And then the, the kind of a point of why there's so many uh, Scandinavian startups uh, or like, let's say like uh, Ave and, and Maker, we're, we're from Nordics, but uh, sadly, uh, I think if we look at DeFi community, sadly, there isn't that many people in the Nordics. I think in the DeFi Finland, we have 27 uh, members uh, only and probably active too so it's kind of in some sense some sense it's there isn't like that much activity there but interesting things are are happening but that's the cool part of the DeFi because it democratizes if I would create something like Eatland uh, back in the days and and 
for me, it will be quite impossible to reach out for capital, for example, from, from, from Silicon Valley, from, from uh, London. I mean, basically, you have a person who is in, in college at the moment building on technology that is, that is basically very novel, uh, building on, on industry that doesn't exist. And, and kind of like there is so many so much risk involved and like so basically the token generation was was a democratic way actually to raise funds and that was interesting point kind of like now it's a bit different I mean now kind of like DeFi has went quite large and and decentralizing geographically and it might be easier and and I love the the fact kind of that uh, like the permissionless factor in DeFi is not only about users using permissionlessly, but builders building permissionlessly and using the whole ecosystem for, for their advantage. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting that, I mean, obviously, most of the successful projects in DeFi have evolved out of the Ethereum community. As a consequence, they've kind of got that in their DNA, a lot of the philosophy um, behind how you build community. And, and clearly, you've managed to bring this initial base of the Ethereum community with you on that journey. Um, and certainly, you know, there's when people have made comparisons between you guys and say um, Compound, it's often Compound is called the VC equivalent because um, it's got all the Silicon Valley VCs um, compared to you guys, which are seen as very community centric. And I do think it's interesting. It, it's almost that um, given where you are, and I'd argue even were you in London, you, you still wouldn't have been able to attract the level of venture capital that you would have got were you in Silicon Valley. But actually, that has been your blessing in a way, um, because it has forced you, whether you would have naturally done it or not, to build community, to work with the community, to raise capital from the community. And clearly, that has led you to compete from a very strong vantage point. And that, that is something I want to get into a little a little bit later, as well as how as a project you've evolved, um, and then also the lend token itself. So you know, previously, it was just to kind of give better rates. Um, but you've kind of added features. And I think that's a really interesting concept. You know, is there something as a minimal viable token, and then you you add features into it, such as a platform governance, and I know, the community can now vote on proposals made by the development team, interest rates, new assets. And of course, that is also something that is true in, in, in MakerDAO, that idea of devolving increasingly to the network or dissolving um, the organization. So if we kind of jump into that, that evolution story, I think it might be worth just at the top end giving a high-level summary of the product offering that you've got uh, and the, the the unique selling points versus you know the competition that's out there. Yeah, continuing what 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 we did from Eatland, so we we started to see uh, the space evolving, kind of like in the state that we're trying to lock a lot of capital into smart contracts, and and that has been a meme yardstick of the total lock value uh, in a way to measure basically how much your smart contracts are trusted. It's an interesting metric in that sense, like the, the trust factor, but it's difficult to measure the same platforms, let's say, whether it's lending, trading with the same kind of a instrument, I mean, yardstick. And like what we saw in, like we, what we tried to do with, with Aave protocol is basically to 
like ironically unlock the capital. So we are now uh, we have most of the locked value in 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 the DeFi space, but our actual goal has always been to unlock the value, and <laughs> it's it's kind of like interesting because the interesting part about Aave protocol. So as a money market protocol, it, it basically means for any user that they can deposit cryptographic assets and earn interest on 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 them. And when they they're depositing those assets into Aave, they're getting in return uh, A tokens, which is basically interest-bearing token. Uh, and the implementation is pretty cool because uh, those tokens they increase in balance right where you are storing them. So if you're storing your MetaMask or somewhere else, uh, over the, over time you will see that balance grow all the, all, all the time. And the idea here was kind of like we we tried to mimic the user experience that you would have, let's say, uh, in a uh, payments account or in a bank account, where if you get paid interest, you see the balance grow, and and that has been like very cool uh, feature. And then those tokens are actually value. So when you when you deposit Dai, you get a Dai. That a Dai actually is worth of your deposit and whatever you earn there so you could use them in somewhere else as a collateral for example and the cool part about this uh, system is that uh, it unlocks a lot of that value that we were talking about and then we noticed that uh, when you deposit to Aave you can basically uh, unlock yourself a credit line so you can borrow against your EATS you can borrow against your stable coins and fascinating here is that uh, roughly when you look at the Lending pools and lending protocols, uh, roughly uh, 25%, 140% is exercise in, in terms of credit lines. And we noticed that the uh, rest of the funds are just slipping in the smart contracts. And you, you, can't, you can't have a 100% utilization ratio on all the assets because they, some of them are used as a collateral. But interestingly, we tried to figure out like how we could somehow put those funds into work. And then we, uh, we introduced a feature uh, from the very beginning called flash loans. And the idea of the flash loans is that you can borrow even all the liquidity that there is in, in the smart contract. So now there is 1.5 billion worth of value locked uh, in the system. That basically means that you can, uh, you can borrow for one transaction, all that value without any kind of collateral. And the functionality here is like people ask like, okay, so why would you borrow for one transaction? What you can do with this one transaction? Well, the interesting part is that how uh, the blockchain settles is that you have always like always a block that has uh, maximum uh, gas available uh, for consumption. And that block will be filled with transactions. So each Ethereum block basically have multiple transactions and each transaction can have nested transaction. So you can create a transaction with nested transactions of flash borrow from Aave, uh, buy an asset in Uniswap, sell an asset in Kyber, and take the profit and return the flash borrowed uh, amount. So you could do arbitrage, but you could also do many interesting uh, products for end users as a developer. So typical thing is, for example, refinancing. So let's say there is a uh, loan position open, let's say in, in Compound, and let's say you're paying some percentage of borrowing USDC against your uh, ETH, so with a, and you already spent that USDC. Uh, 
So with a flash loan, you could take a flash loan from Aave and, and, and basically in USDC, you can return that USDC, take that Ether, put it into uh, Maker uh, and, and print DAI, mm -hmm. convert the DAI in Kyber into back to USDC, return the loan to uh, Aave. And basically what you did, you uh, created a product for your end users where they can uh, refinance uh, from, from from one protocol to another and from one currency to another and from one interest rate to another. And this is like substantial uh, benefit for, for the end users. And the latest kind of thing that we added in terms of like unlocking value narrative is that uh, uh, when you deposit to Aave and you have the credit line that you can exercise, if you are not exercising that credit line, uh, you can delegate it to someone else that you trust or to a smart contract and to earn more uh, interest. And this is very cool uh, use case for the future because it allows you to take liquidity into, let's say, OTC lending desks or to traditional finance uh, or just keep it between smart contracts uh, and, and, and basically ensure that the smart contracts that you're delegating, they basically don't have uh, any kind of like functionality that those funds are at, 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 at stake somehow. So how do you see the function or the role of Aave and in, in the context of, of DeFi generally? Because when I try to explain DeFi and, and what's happening in crypto to somebody that's not from the space, often they get kind of very, very confused. But I try to simplify it as, look, this is kind of a, a permissionless um, sandbox for financial technology. And in a way, you could think of it as a place where um, these innovations are tested out in a relatively contained environment because of the technical barrier to play is so high that even though in theory anybody could play with this technology, uh, it's unlikely that they, they, they would. And so this is a place where innovation can be carried out at a global level, but I think where successful, you'll begin to see it either begin to eat away at the existing uh, financial markets, capital markets, or begin to be co-opted by, say, fintech startups who can start to roll out new products and features. So when you, when you think of your users, like who, who are your users uh, and the users that you have today, are they going to be the same users as tomorrow? Are you always just focused on helping developers realize financial products or, or would you ever kind of extend into offering products and services directly to consumers? And I guess in that context, um, perhaps you, you could explain why you felt the need for this electronic money institutional license uh, from the S FCA in the UK. Yeah, definitely. So I think we always had a, um, like, like definitely we see Aave as a, Protocol, the other protocol is, is basically it has a horizontal approach in the sense that it's a permissionless protocol. Uh, it's, it's decentralized and, and governed uh, by the other DAO that we are basically uh, transforming into, and, and and essentially by the token holders. What's what's interesting is that the protocol will always be decentralized, but then you can build different kinds of businesses around it and access points. So at Aave, we always have been uh, having this kind of like a vertical approach idea. So when we created Ethland, 
back then, uh, most of the approaches in, in, in the space was creating something on horizontally. So people were building protocols on top of protocols and on top of protocols. <laughs> it started to be kind of like uh, a bit too hilarious for us because uh, no one was able able to take the actual link all the way to the end consumer. And if you kind of like uh, go back in a few years and, and we will see like a lot of kind of like uh, projects and no one is taking actual, people were talking about adoption, who is the end user, we see things being built, but always horizontally. And with Eatland, we actually went all the way to the uh, end user. And we wanted to give them like the best experience even though the space was very limited, we didn't have stable coins. Uh, the the use cases very limited, but uh, but it was it was very good experimentation. And with the Ave protocol launch, we actually put a lot of effort, uh, a lot of effort on the user experience of the our user interface, because currently I think there is like uh, 50 different access points where you can access the the, the protocol itself, uh, including the the Ave dashboard. Ours was, of course, the first one, and we wanted to make the experience as good as possible so that it leaves an impression for the uh, community and end users. So we definitely believe that uh, to actually kind of like have good brand exposure and, and adoption, uh, we also need to have this kind of like an end, end user reach. And we love to see more basically dashboards created on top of uh, Aave and better user experience and, and and tailored user experience or localized user experience that, that we love to see. We also want to basically adopt more more, more users into the space. And, and basically we obtained the electronic money license for, for our uh, UK integrations entity, which is helping uh, with the Aave integrations uh, globally. And the, the idea there is that uh, if you allow a, a gateway where users can convert their local currencies into uh, stable coins and then uh, kind of like leave that entity and go into the decentralized technologies such as the, the other protocol, that will help the adoption. So I, I think currently we see it as a big bottleneck that you have to go many loops before you can actually do a deposit. and. I think that is like what what we are now focusing as well. That uh, we want to expand the reach. We want everyday people to to basically be able to, to kind of like try DeFi and get closer to DeFi. And that's that's what what what, what we are now uh, trying to achieve with uh, with adoption. Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting to talk about how you see your ability to, as an ecosystem, but then also as an organization to compete with high street lending, if, if you're going to go all the way to kind of mainstream uh, retail adoption. Um, but bef before we go there, I, I'd like to understand from a founder perspective, the challenges of being a first mover, um, because you know you, you were the first mover in the space. Of course, now there's lots of uh, competition coming. I mentioned Compound a little bit earlier. You know, can you can you talk through the 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 benefits and the challenges of being a first mover and how you engage with new competition coming into the market? Yeah, definitely. Like being a first mover is is kind of like a unique position in the sense that uh, you're coming to the market that you need to create, and and kind of like you you kind of need to benchmark whether there's. Uh, market fit and product market fit. And <clears throat> interestingly, 
Um, with Eatland, for example, we were quite early in the sense that there was so many, like we had we had a good amount of users. Uh, we had good amount of uh, value locked compared to the times that we were. Uh, but I think the kind of uh, challenging part is that when the ecosystem isn't mature enough, there's less users in the whole ecosystem. So one of the things I noticed during the Eatland era is, is that uh, back then there was basically Eatland, there was one decentralized exchange, and over the time the ecosystem started to build. We saw Fiverr coming, uh, then we saw Uniswap, and then we saw arbitrage opportunities. So there was some action there. Then we basically saw stable coins coming, and 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 that they that kind of like created an ecosystem where you could already create many different kinds of things and and usability. And I think the, the space always has been about uh, incentives. And I think when, once people started to understand that they can earn on their stable coins, that changed a lot. That, that basically sparked the adoption quite well a bit. And, and now with the uh, different kinds of incentive models for liquidity providers, it, it's also basically bringing adoption a bit. So it's kind of like step-by-step -step process, but all roads lead to the incentives. That is what I, I've seen uh, previously happen. And the, the ecosystem also needs to exist. So as a first mover, you always have this kind of like a uh, issue that you might be too early. And the too early means also kind of like if you're alone in the space, it's of course difficult to get users. It's difficult to get funding as well, because I mean, uh, VCs, they, they like to invest uh, based on a bit of uh, FOMO. And <laughs> it's interesting, you know, because we're talking uh, all the time with uh, different VCs and they're always saying like, I wish we were around, like like we saw you guys in 2017, but uh, like, I, I, I don't know why we didn't like notice anything. And and it, you kind of see always like when, when the ecosystem is, is there, you know, then like when things are happening, it becomes more interesting because it becomes like a more like a game and, and, and that excites quite a lot. And you can do different kinds of things then you see more the potential. But um, I, I guess it's all about like the, the network effects. So, so when there's things around, you can do things. Uh, but as a first mover, you always have this kind of uh, issue. But in terms of competition, uh, I, I usually see competition as uh, more of supportive element in terms of like you everything that is built brings some sort of like a user base into the ecosystem and that's good because that means that uh there's more users that Aave uh, as a protocol can can basically serve so if someone builds a product on top of Aave or basically competitive product that's that's totally fine because they will attract users as well. And, and they also keep us innovating as well. So I, I think the developers around the our protocol are, are basically happy to innovate all the time. And uh, if we see others also building innovation, it's easier for us to, to kind of like continue what, what they build and, and then let others basically continue what we build. And this constant kind of like a uh, innovation cycle, it's, it's really good for uh, everyone. And... Of course, like I, I've seen many of many are saying that uh, like the space will be about like winner takes all, and we had this mentality last year, for example, and, and even beginning this year that, uh, that let's say that there's Maker they're, they're going to be big on this, there's Compound they're going to be big on that, and Uniswap going to be big on that, and this narrative died like a few months ago, like completely. 
And this was the narrative that many VCs were doing their investment decisions and writing their blog posts and saying that this is going to happen and this is like the, the, the thesis and the playbook. And it didn't happen. And actually, like now we see a lot of cool things. There's balancer, there's there's a lot of new things coming up. And that's the thing. I mean, the innovation is the driver, uh, I would say. Like that takes that takes us like further. And I really love to see new new things. And if someone is working on something that in, in DeFi, I, I think I am aware or like happy to help. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really interesting thing about this space and DeFi in particular that most people, it's a very difficult thing to get your head around because it's very unusual that almost with every new project that comes to the space, it matures the stack, it allows for more features, more product, or it brings new liquidity in. And in a way, either directly or indirectly, everybody's kind of cooperation because they're all kind of bringing some value that everybody can can gain gain from. Uh, and it helps accelerate the space and, of course, brings, as you say, attention. Um, so uh, I think... You know, it, it's it's good to you mentioned earlier that you you have this vertical approach, and you know with this new license that you've got, how do how do you how do you see this interplay between DeFi and fintech, like a classic fintech startup? Is is your aspiration almost to move towards being considered a, a, a fintech startup rather than this niche DeFi um, project? And how how do you think it's possible to compete with high street lending and acquire mainstream users? I see like DeFi growing as a space more becoming less of a niche. But also I think kind of like what's interesting, what FinTech is doing is they're basically uh, uh, playing with the uh, with, with with the fiat money in terms of like giving different kinds of um, uh, efficiencies compared to high street banking. And then we see DeFi where the play is about uh, cryptographic assets and, and, and so so on. And I, I think like at some point I could even say, I have this vision that, that like DeFi could actually eat a bit like the FinTech and the, the high street banking. But the, 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 the way of the development goes, uh, it, 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 it's slow. Banks are still running like very old systems from the 70s. Uh, for fintech, it's quite easier to operate and 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 adopt new technology because they they have built they're built on new, new technology. But I see like uh, somehow that the DeFi space will grow, but it it and and those decentralized protocols will always exist autonomously. But I think what fintech is doing, uh, they probably will notice the value added and and somehow utilize it. I could imagine, uh, for example, a fintech company allowing deposits into into the other protocol and providing yields for their users. I would also imagine that uh, other depositors could delegate their credit lines to companies like Funding Circle, uh, who are then basically getting sourcing. Uh, affordable liquidity from DeFi, and and then basically uh, further lending to their uh, consumers and businesses. Uh, so I, I think that they, they, there will be this kind of like interoperability. And the cool part is that you don't need actually to build completely DeFi because uh, 
I mean, you just want this kind of access to this kind of liquidity. So I would say, I would think like DeFi will become like a liquidity ocean that everyone would like to plug in and 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 get some liquidity or or do different kinds of things. But uh, but actual like the user interfaces and and functionality, they don't need to be uh, DeFi. And as long as there is this uh, like fiat system, uh, of course, like that needs to be served. I, I think kind of like DeFi and fintech are more and more kind of like taking taking over what high street offers because the high street experience is the worst user experience on the planet and 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 it's getting only worse and that's very difficult and high streets uh, uh, basically plan is to hedge this by having in their portfolios uh, fintech companies that are doing the innovation and uh, and in, in one way I see it kind of like a somewhat positive thing because uh, last thing we want is kind of get stuck into the high street banking. But uh, yeah, I, I think in, over, over time, uh, like fintech will definitely grow and, and also the DeFi. And I would say just the, 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 the biggest uh, kind of like a deficit is the, uh, the high street. Uh, but it, and in, in terms of like investment banking, they're pretty uh, flexible to find opportunities. So I guess they will be the first looking at something like decentralized finance. So where do you think the, the biggest opportunity is? Do you think it is this um, integration or uh, co-opting by, by incumbents or even fintech? I mean, you could look at fintech to a degree as an incumbent in the context of, of DeFi in the West. Or do you think there's a bigger opportunity going over the top into emerging markets where you know, there, there are, are no banks, there are no high street banks, and this concept of unbanked, um, that these people don't want a bank, they'll probably never have a bank. Where do you see the most opportunity? I know that there's going to be adoption in the Western countries, but what fascinates me actually is the adoption in, in uh, emerging countries. And because, and we, we're trying to make it very easy. Um, I mean, A tokens, in essence, let's say if you have ADI, AUSDC, it's basically a permissionless uh, global USD nominated savings account. And interesting part is that if you're in a country where there's high inflation or uh, you don't have access to, to uh, decent save, saving rates or USD nominated savings rates, uh, this is a wonderful tool for you. And you don't need to actually to deposit to Aave uh, to, to get AUSDC or ADI. You could actually go to a market uh, and, and buy it from there. So you could, the, the user experience is quite seamless. So when you buy ADI, you start to, uh, at the same time, to earn the interest. And that is what makes it really cool. And like the onboarding is so easy. And, and the, the, the missing part is just to connect to this world and find yourself to, to buy these tokens. But <clears throat> I'm very bullish on, on emerging countries because once something is adopted, it, it can scale quite a lot. And I, I think in Europe, we've always been very uh, in fiat country countries in, in the sense that we somehow like banking and, and that's very interesting for us, but that's not the same case in, for example, in Southeast Asia or, or, or uh, China, for example. And we've seen a lot of growth on, on the usage of, of uh, the Aave protocol in Asia, 
And I think it will just continue. It's, it's um, very fascinating to see. But I, I think uh, we try to be very global in terms of like how we try people to perceive our brand and, and, and so forth. I think we have done a very good job in, in that sense that we, we try to be presence a bit everywhere to see like where, where might be the, the place that uh, DeFi grows more. But yeah, I think um, it's a global phenomenon, but there's sort of potential in emerging countries. So what about the, what are the constraints to DeFi? I mean, one of the obvious ones is, you know, uh, gas fees at the moment. And, um, but, but as a, uh, as an organization, as a, as a business, however you kind of think of yourself, how do you manage the risks and constraints placed upon you by what, what else is going on that you can't control? Yeah, I, I think the, the biggest constraint may be definitely or, or, or now kind of like the challenge is that uh, people need to build securely DeFi. That that basically means that uh, like there's like DeFi is all about permissionless and and, and trust trustless interaction. You need to you don't need to trust anyone because you can verify verify code. But if you want to actually adoption, uh, you can't rely on people reading code. It's the same thing that uh, you can't rely on people on reading terms and conditions when they're they're using. Twitter, for example, and because no one reads terms and conditions. And, and now we have basically smart contract-based ones, kind of. And I, I think like uh, what's important is that uh, the, the space needs to be built securely. And, and it, it means that basically that there's sufficient audits done uh, and, and best practices are used when, when building smart contracts. And this is very important because if there is some sort of like a uh, hack or a deficit event, uh, what happens is that the, the whole space gets uh, kind of like a uh, hit, and it's very difficult to come up out of that. And one, in one part, the Aave, like Aave tokenomics is part of that. Uh, like our tokenomics are focused on safety. So basically the token holders are making governance decisions, risk-based governance decisions, the, the lending para- parameters, which assets should be added into the pool, and in return, they're taking the risk transfer of the protocol from the depositors because they're staking into a staking facility, and that stake is used to compensate any deficit there is happening in the in the protocol. And that is kind of like the way to uh, get a bit more towards the mainstream and the institutionals because you you always need to have some sort of like a insurance instrument and. And more, more about the fact that uh, when we are building in DeFi smart contracts, uh, it's a human work, and 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 human might make errors even after audits and, and formal verifications. Uh, you never know. So there's always need to be a lot of focus on security. And I, I think once we have secure enough space, we get adoption. Of course, then fintech is interested. Then high street is interesting because basically, few things happen. Inefficiencies. Are reduced and and uh, I mean it's, it's a win, win uh, for everyone. So how far away do you think we are from DeFi being professional enough to be accepted by regulators uh, and as you say, you know, large institutions? I think roughly like uh, maybe one year. Okay, so not 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 that far away. Yeah. And you know, when you talk about that risk, obviously there's reputational risk. There might be risk to a particular amount of collateral. Um, 
how much do you think these kind of un unaudited innovations coming through in DeFi uh, bring systemic risk? So the ability to potentially cause a, a market-wide crash? Good question, because I mean, every single line of code uh, brings new risk. And as we like, the, the interesting part about DeFi is, is the composability. So basically, you can build things on top of other things and, and build new financial products. But also, it means that you're relying on different products. And, and it's different than in the banking space where softwares are closed source and, and the system are closed and the settlements have some sort of like a timelines. But here, every transaction is settled after you, you basically initiate it. So I, I think the compatibility, which is kind of like a, brings the value at it. Uh, on the other side, it, it always puts more systemic risk into the uh, space. And it's kind of like double-edged sword. So in one hand, you're, you're getting this benefit. In other hand, you, you, if you screw up, you screw up the whole system. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, 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 it's fascinating, to be honest with you. Stanley, look, I, I want to respect your time. We've we've had you on for a, a good chunk of it. I know you've got lots of things to do. You, you've just got back from your vacation like me, which wasn't really a vacation. Um, you're, you're a busy man. But I, I think it's great that, you know, generally what you're doing for the space, but also specific to the work that you're doing with regulators in the UK, you know, as a Brit, uh, I, I think that's going to be really important for us to maintain the global leadership uh, in financial services, but also fintech. Um, so thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, and thanks for having me. I think DeFi is going to the uh, right direction. And I, I can't wait also personally come back to London and uh, meet personally as well. Yeah, we have to get a, a, a pint in sometimes. Thanks very much, Stanley. Thanks for coming on. Cheers. If you're an early stage Web3 founder, apply to our award-winning accelerator program, Basecamp at outlierventures.io slash Basecamp. We write your first $50,000 check and give you access to 200 mentors, including many of the leading Web3 founders, and a network of 1,000 of the world's leading investors and exchanges. We've helped over 30 startups from 15 countries from all around the world, raise $130 million in growth funding, and can help you fast track product market fit and where relevant, the launch of your token economy.